Well, today marks a number of days, one very sad and one joyous. Today is the 16th anniversary of the Ecole Polytechnique Massacre, and where 14 women were killed, 28 people were shot. Uh, so a terribly sad day to remember that, and especially with all the violence we have going all around the world. Also, happy Hanukkah to all of my Jewish friends, family, and listeners tonight. Here on the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show, the show where we educate men and women about sexual health, how it relates to overall health, making relationships the best they can be. I am Maureen McGrath. I am your host. I'm a registered nurse, sex therapist, blogger, researcher, speaker. I do talk a lot. People are probably like, when is she going to shut up? Anyway, I'll stop talking soon. I actually did my 31st talk last Friday for the Trial Lawyers Association of British Columbia. And uh, one of the lawyers said to me, I love this. He said, you nailed it on all counts. (laughs) That was great. Uh, And I want to thank HSN Law Firm from Victoria for hosting me on Friday evening for a lovely dinner at La Terrazza. I've been eating for three days, so now I'm NPO, as we say in the healthcare field. Nothing by mouth. Dangerous for a sex bird. Anyway, it'd be boring. Uh, Tonight, have a great program because I have some great guests. Later in the program, speaking of nothing by mouth, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I actually have Jane, and she is a sex addict. (laughs) The weather guy is clapping, giving me applause over there. (laughs) Um, um, So Jane, a self-described sex addict. And when I uh, told people that I was having a sex addict on the show, a number of people will ask me along the way, Who, who's your guest this week? And say a sex addict. And they're like, I think I'm a sex addict. So I'm going to ask a few questions tonight. And then you can, it'll be a bit of a marker to see if perhaps you are, in fact, a sex addict or may lean that way. It's mostly guys that say to me, I think I'm a sex addict. And, you know, I was talking to a few guys this week along the way. And they were joking about it. And then one told me his story a little bit more. And I thought, yeah, you actually might very well be. He was, sadly enough, forced to marry somebody that his family wanted him to marry. And he's married a woman he's not in love with, which is a terrible way to be in a marriage, especially to start out. He's got about three children. And he has not had sex in a year since the prior to the last baby being born. But he said he has sex with other women, and but just once, one at a time. And he said if she looks into his eyes in that way, he will actually leave, perhaps even before he has sex with her. And he's often wondered. Um, he said he's never been in a relationship longer than eight to ten months, and he thinks about sex. He's in search of sex quite often. It's always on his mind. He has a list of, of people that he keeps track of that he may have sex with later. So he did have some signs that he may, in fact, be a sex addict. Uh, But it's a very small percentage of the population. And actually, the DSM-5 doesn't even include it this time in its definition. The DSM-4 has it under uh, not otherwise specified. Uh, We're also going to be talking, and he's going to be joining me on the phone very shortly, another brave soul who is HIV positive, because this week there's a campaign that's going on called Testing is Sexy. So this is a mature university student 
who has been HIV positive for about 20 years. And he's actually joining me on the line right now. Hello, Rodney. Hi there. How are you tonight? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Very good. Oh, good. Listen, uh, HIV testing. Between Mm -hmm. 2000 and 2011, the men who have sex with men exposure category accounted for 42% of new positive HIV test reports among adults and then followed by heterosexual contact, which is 31%, and injection drug use, 21%. Those are some of the exposure categories. You're a heterosexual man living with HIV for the past 20 years? Um, Two-spirit. Sorry? Two-spirit. Two-spirit. You're a two-spirit man living with it. So what is it like being HIV positive in this world in which we live? Uh, For me personally, I find it hard at times to approach people and to tell them... um, or actually when somebody approaches me, having to say that I'm HIV positive. And up until about October, I'm hep C. Now I'm no longer hep C. It was really hard for me to um, to say that I was um, HIV because it just, it just changes everything when you say something like that to somebody. Especially somebody that, and you're talking about people you get into a relationship with, or is this friends and colleagues and... Um, just basically somebody who wants to like to get intimate like that. So like this is past weekend, something like that happened. And when I told this person I was, it sort of just changed everything. And he just sort of, bye-bye. <laughs> and didn't want to have anything to do with you. Yeah. It just sort of changed things. And HIV is actually a chronic illness. Yeah, it is. And it's treated with a cocktail of HAART, so the heart medications, antiretroviral yeah. medications. So it keeps the infection at bay and prevents you from going on to full-blown AIDS, for example. Yes, and keeping fit, too, and taking care of yourself. Is also very important for any medical. Very important, yeah. With any medical issue. So have, have there been times when, you, when it's not an issue for somebody that you're uh, being intimate with? I mean, sometimes neurochemistry just takes over and nothing else matters. That is so true. That is so true. And just, I've had a, one or two or three or four or five. <laughs> one or two. Is... Year, in the past 20 years. That, some really nice gentlemen that have that been have accepted that have accepted that, that you've been intimate with yeah and that have accepted the fact that I was HIV positive and, and that yeah. blew me away when they said that because I was so used to be being, being um, stigmatized against or discriminated against because of that right and so do you practice safe sex with these men yes I did a hundred percent yes up until about a year ago because since then, I really don't. Um, I'm concentrating more on my studies now. Okay. And that's on my that's on my top priority right now. So relationships and intimacy with other men, it's not really on my scope right now. It's not. So have you? Are you repressing it for because schooling is more of a priority for you right now? Yes. Yes, it is. Or is it the pain is too much to bear? I mean, it's got to be terrible no. to be discriminated it's, against. It's the school. I'm really concentrating on that. I want to succeed. I really do. And at times, like this past couple of weeks ago, I was on the Sky Train. I have long hair, and I was dressed in black. And there was a lady sitting across from me. She and she said, "Are you native?" And she, I said, "What?" It surprised me when she said that. And I told her that I was First Nations. And then after that, she looked at me again. And she said, "Are you a man or a woman?" I said, holy, what? <laughs> that just surprised me when she did that in front of all those people. She was questioning, questioning my sexuality. 
right? And how did you respond to that? Why do you want to know? Why is it so important? Good for you. I was going to say. What happened right after that when she was getting off the train, the door slammed on her. (laughs) Well, karma is a wonderful (laughs) thing. Yeah. So when you were first diagnosed with HIV, what what was that like? Because there's a campaign now this week. It's been uh, National HIV Week. We've had a day and lots of um, events going on. And trying to get out the word that testing is sexy. It's better to be tested early than mm-hmm. find out later, early when you have HIV, when you're HIV positive versus later when you have full-blown AIDS. So, but how devastating was that for you to learn that you had HIV positive status? In a way, I knew. I kind of sensed it. At the time, I was um, in Calgary and I was dating a person who worked the streets while I was at the same time. And unsafe practices and addictions were a big part of my life. I see. I'm still, I'm still battling them right now. And when I was, when I was diagnosed, I kind of knew. And I just, I was shocked when I found out. I really did. I really was. That's why I moved here to Vancouver, because there was more services for Aboriginal people living with first with um, HIV and AIDS. I see. And so you, you battle other addictions as well. Yeah. Presently, are 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 they still a part of your life, or are you? Dealing with, dealing, with man, dealing with them, managing them, and what what are some of the other addictions? If you don't mind my asking, school. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say studying might be one of them. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, holy, which is uh, great. What are you studying? I'm taking gender, race, sexuality, and social justice. Fantastic. At the University of British Columbia. That's excellent. That's outstanding. Uh, that'll be great work, and I'm sure you'll do a tremendous job at that. Uh, and so, uh, did you have alcohol addictions or yes, um, drugs and alcohol? Drugs and alcohol addictions. Any yeah. sex addiction? Mm, I would say that was a big part of it too. That was. When you, I heard you talking about um, the sex addict, and I was thinking about my own past, and I thought, "Holy, sounds familiar." <laughs> Exactly. You know, I never really looked at that that way, my, my past. Right. So but now it, i got to question that now. Well, you know, it, what, what does it matter? If it's in your past now, it's done. It's gone. Yeah, I'm UBC now. <laughs> Absolutely. Move, moving forward. And, and a radio star at that. Oh, cool. Thank you. Like Fraser Crane. <laughs> You're welcome. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, and so you live a healthy life now? Yes. No drugs and alcohol? Eat healthily. Well, this weekend I party because I'm. Um, it was my last day for, on Friday from classes. Yes, and I just had fun. So when you party, what does that what does that mean for somebody drinking. who has had an alcohol addiction? Drinking and um, <laughs> marijuana, medicinal marijuana. <laughs> drinking and medicinal marijuana. Isn't it medicinal for everybody? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Isn't it always medicinal? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. Well, well, you deserve it. It sounds like you work hard at school and you deserve uh, that. I, that's what a lot of people are telling me today. And I was feeling guilty. said, no, you, you deserve to have fun. Go out and have fun. Absolutely. So HIV is still a bit more of a male issue versus a female issue. There's 472 male cases of the 664 reported cases amongst Aboriginal people between 79 and uh, December 31st, 2008. And we have about 192 female cases. So do you think that's related to lack of safe sex practices? I think it's a lack of education. Sex education. Yeah. There's my plug. 
people need to hear about what's going on. I find and people have their heads in the sand about it. Absolutely. Yes. yes, they do. I had a patient who was having, uh, he was not having sex with his wife. She said it, it was too boring. She didn't want to have it anyway. And he felt sex with his wife was boring. And so he had, uh, of course, he's going to go outside the marriage. And he said he went to prostitutes and hookers, but he paid a lot of money because he felt that provided immunity against sexually transmitted infections. So he felt if he paid $300 an hour, he was less likely to get a sexually transmitted infection. Mm-hmm. Now, we know that's not true, Rodney. You're supposed to say, come on, you're the... <laughs> not really. I was just sitting there listening, what? Money can't buy that. <laughs> no, money cannot buy that. That's absolutely correct. That's true. Um, yeah, so what? what is the biggest thing you would pass on to somebody who just found out they had they were HIV positive what advice can you give them you're not alone if you need to talk to somebody call somebody that works in the field or better yet get in touch with a person living with HIV and AIDS they can share their story with you and give you that extra strength that you need to carry on in your life and and have a great life they yeah, they yeah. they have the they still have the ability to have a great life then yes i've met the past few years like the past 15 years I've been going to conferences, and HIV is a sad thing, but when I walk into a room filled with people living with HIV and AIDS, there's so much life in there. There's humor, there's love, there's caring, there's support in those rooms. And that's just so wonderful, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it's it's actually the nicest thing in life to be kind to others, especially at this time of year, but be nice to be nice all year long. Yeah, really, eh? (laughs) Trouble is, that's not the world. The world isn't so nice. (laughs) <laughs> and I think it's a lot, a lot of people don't feel so great about themselves, and so they're, they're mean to other people. Anyway, that could be another show. Rodney, <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure having you on Thank the you. air. Thank you so much for sharing your story. It's really important to get that out there. And good Thank luck you in your schooling, and I'll have you back on when you're a professional in that field. Oh, cool. Thank you. You're very welcome. <laughs> have a nice Christmas. You too. Thank Take you care. so much. Take care. When I come back, we're going to take this little situation Below the belt. Well, I'm going down under. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Welcome back. I'm Maureen McGrath. I wish I knew what I knew now. Uh, a lot of the work that I do, uh, in case you're just joining me or uh, you didn't realize this, but a lot of the work that I do is focused below the belt. And that means bladder health, bowel health, sexual health, vaginal health, penile health. And bladder health can, it's, it's the least sexiest subject out there, but I try and make it as sexy as possible, okay? And so one of the ways to make it as sexy as possible is to treat your bladder health or your leakage of urine, your overactivity, or your stressed urinary incontinence when you leak, when you cough or sneeze with a great device that can not only help dry you up in the right way, but also increase your sexual sensation. And the device that I find myself prescribing more and more often in my office is the Elise TENS device. Not only does it help with bladder health, but it will help to increase blood flow, and it will help to increase sexual satisfaction for women. And I think that is a really sexy thing. And on the line joining me is Janet Law. Hello, Janet. Hi, Maureen. Thank you so much for having me uh, at this time on your show and helping uh, women and all 
with a, a great device that you recommend highly. You're welcome. Yeah, it's fantastic. I'm getting great feedback from my patients utilizing it. It's 20 minutes a night that they use it. It's, it's a product uh, that's uh, by Mother's Choice. Um, yes. It's the Elise Tens device. And so why don't you tell the listeners how it works? Okay. Well, I think uh, you talk about the importance of uh, having proper pelvic health, you know, pelvic floor muscles. And like any other muscle in the body, it requires exercise because it needs to stay strong and healthy like every part of our body does. So what it does is it's actually inserted um, through into the vagina, connected to, of course, the machine or the device itself. It is set to um, a urge, stress, or mixed incontinence, depending on what it is that you're using it for. And basically, it's giving the uh, electrical stimulation, which is used on any kind of TENS machine um, used on the muscle of the outer body. This is just the um, stimulation happening on the muscles of the pelvic floor. And so, let's get down to brass tacks. It's a it's a probe that's inserted into the vagina. Yes, it is. Thank okay. you for You're that. welcome. It's a small probe that is inserted into the vagina. Men and women can use it because men also leak urine. Yes, they do. And as you say, leakage is not normal. Is that correct? That's right. It's never normal to leak that's urine. Mm-hmm. People have mm-hmm. that uh, misperception. Yes. And uh, a lot of women after childbirth think that it's normal or during perimenopause or postmenopause or men after prostatectomy. Actually, men don't have the tolerance that the women have uh, about it. I said to my business partner, a male physician, one many years ago, I said, well, how long does it take uh, a woman to get treatment for her leakage of urine? And yes. he said, for me, one drop. And I said, well, we are far more tolerant than that. But I find that the men come into the office a lot sooner after their once they start leaking urine, then the women do. Women put up with it on average of seven years. Right. And uh, if we call a PFES, a pelvic floor exercise stimulator, really what we're using is this probe to um, ensure that we are using this device to exercise your pelvic floor muscles. And it's done in a very non-invasive um easy, easy way. And if we look at the area of exercising, running, lifting, laughing, those are all the things we do in a normal day, don't we, Maureen? Do we? We do. I do. I was hiking up uh, Cypress this afternoon for one and a half hours straight up. It's a good thing. I wasn't leaking urine. That's right. <laughs> because exactly. that would prevent me perhaps from hiking, and I'm getting ready for ski season, quite frankly. Yes. Yes. Um, but yeah, no, I don't. Um, and, but if and, I did, I would use this device. That's for darn sure. And definitely, uh, for sure, in women, our pelvic floor, our Kegel exercises, um, you know, have been an effective way maybe in the past. But um, this device actually um, allows uh, a very efficient, effective um pelvic floor to be strengthened um, in a much more expedient fashion. So. Exactly. And it's 20 minutes a night. So they can yes. go to your website, Janet. What's the website? Uh, the website is www.motherschoiceproducts.com. And we have uh, a number of other uh, places that you can uh, purchase uh, in the... Um, That's right. Mark's Pharmacy Vancouver. on Scott yes, Road in Delta. Absolutely. You can get it out absolutely. there. That's for darn you sure. Have, you absolutely can. That's and right. We, we we appreciate all the work that you're doing, Maureen. Oh, in don't worry area. about it. It's nothing. Well, <laughs> 
it well, may be nothing, but you're you're helping in many ways uh, well, to dry up uh, right. in a good way. <laughs> dry, dry up the city of Vancouver. Dry up British Columbia. All right. Well, thank you so much, Janet, uh, uh, for joining me. And when I come back, we're going to, you know, we love sex here on the Sunday Night Sex Show, but sometimes people can be addicted to sex. And that can cause a problem with relationships, with health, with jobs, and sometimes it doesn't matter. Jane joins me and shares her personal story. When I return, I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Welcome back. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. I'm a registered nurse by training. I'm in the field of sexual health. And, uh... I have a very special guest joining me now. We're talking about a very sensitive subject, sexual addiction. Many people told me when I told them I was having this segment, they confessed that they felt they were sex addicts. I will say they were all men. That has nothing to do with it. Um, But sex addiction is not necessarily believed by everybody. It's controversial. Some people say it's an excuse for having extramarital affairs or excessive cheating or just lots of sex. But for Jane, who joins me, it has been about a 30-year issue, even longer, since her teens, she's been dealing with this. Now, her voice is going to be changed because, for obvious reasons, and the only, I'm using a voice app, and the only one I could use, she sounds like a man. But keep in mind, Jane is a woman. So pardon me, they didn't have any female voices on there. Sexual addiction is best described as a progressive intimacy disorder, and it is characterized by compulsive sexual thoughts and acts. Like every other addiction, its negative impact on the addict and family members increases as the disorder progresses. Usually, the addict has to intensify the addictive behavior to achieve the same results. You can imagine how difficult this would be for somebody who has had this 10, 15, 20, 30 years. It gets worse and worse. For some people, the behavior doesn't progress beyond compulsive masturbation. Often that's a part of it, though, as well. That's the number one question I get, and I've realized with prepping for this segment that I'm going to have to look at that answer that I give in a whole lot in a whole different way because I often just say as kind of as a joke, uh, you know, are you able to work, you know, is it impacting your life, you know, and they're like, no, that, you know, yes, I can work and no, it's not impacting my, I'm like, okay, you're okay. But I may need to probe further. They may be compulsively masturbating and it may be bothering them more. So that's something that I've learned through this research and talking to Jane. For, for some people, addiction may involve illegal activities, exhibitionism, voyeurism, obscene phone calls, and child molestation and rape. So this is a very serious issue, and it impacts Jane tremendously. So, Jane, thank you so much for joining me in the studio. We're trying this app out to see how it works. It's not working. Thanks for me. There she is. <laughs> there she is, but remember, she's a boy. All right. <laughs> I mean, she's a girl. It's not going to work. Um, you know, I think we're having a little difficulty with the technology here. But um, so we are going to talk um, through this. But anyway, so 
how long, Jane, has it been? And you can answer the questions for me, and I can give the answers, actually. So how long has it been that you have suffered this? How long did you know that you were a sex addict? Um, and what are some of the behaviors that you engage in? I know we have discussed this in the past. Um, some of the, engage, the behaviors you engage in have impacted your relationships, your family. You've been divorced twice now as a result of this. The demise of your relationship, so it's difficult to keep that. And, and always living a lie must be incredibly difficult as well. And how does uh, this sex addiction manifest itself for you in terms of, is masturbation, is chronic masturbation an issue for you? And how, how often do you masturbate? And what does that do for you aside from, I mean, once a day isn't enough or a few times a week isn't enough, so three, four. And that can definitely impact somebody's life when you're masturbating 15 times a week to 45 times a week. And so we're looking at seven, eight times a day. Um, and that can definitely impact somebody's life. Um, have you ever engaged in any illegal activities as a result of this? And how about having seeking sex from unattainable people? So Jane is saying you have to be with many different people as the uh, disease progresses. And so, Jane, I'm going to ask you, why do you think you have this sex addiction? To what do you attribute this? Have you ever had treatment before? And, and what belies this? Okay, so Jane was answering that question as to why she believes she has this sex addiction, and she does relate it to her childhood. Her parents uh, divorced. Her father wasn't around. She looks for a particular father type of figure. She's stated, which is true, that many Sex addicts have experienced sexual trauma. As a child, that is not the ca has not been the case for Jane. I have um, I'm going to be asking you a few more questions, Jane, and I really appreciate you being here and sharing this story. How painful is this for you? How much does this impact your life? And uh, what has prompted you to get the help that you've recently gotten? And Jane says that the sex addiction is always with her, especially when she's in the bubble, as the term goes for sex addicts. It's always on her mind. It's exhausting. It's tiring. It's anxiety-driven. I sent Jane off to a psychologist. Jane came to see me as a patient, and I sent her off for further therapy to a psychologist, and the psychologist gave Jane his personal cell phone number which I thought was incredibly inappropriate and crossed the boundary. We're going to go to break, and when I come back, I'm going to tell you what Jane's thought about that was. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Welcome back. I'm Maureen McGrath. Jane joins me in the studio. This is the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Jane is a sex addict. Society has accepted that sex offenders act not for sexual gratification, but rather out of a disturbed need for power, dominance, control, or revenge, or a perverted expression of anger. Sex offenders are not always sex addicts, but they can be. Jane is a sex addict. She is not a sex offender. If you want to give me a call about any question you might have, about sex addiction or anything else, you can call me at 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. Sex addiction is a distress about a pattern of repeated sexual relationships involving a succession of lovers. We are back to the app. We're hoping the technology works. And um, 
as soon as I get my password in here, it will. So we're, Jane is a woman, but the, the app turns her voice into a man's voice. So here we go. So Jane, have how many lovers would you say you've had over the 30 years that you have been a sex addict? Over 150 lovers, that's a lot, since most women will probably have between three and five, perhaps, uh, in their lifetime. So that is a lot. Have you run into um, people that you have had sex with, and kind of what, what, what are some of the experiences that you've had? Yes, I've run into them, but uh, I can't really remember the time, location, but they often will come up to me and remind me of that. Okay, I sent you off to a psychologist who actually gave you his personal cell phone number, which I felt was wildly inappropriate. You took it to be another, to have another meaning because you told me you had difficulty with boundaries. That, so tell me what that meant for you. I felt you were getting into a danger zone in part because of what you said to me. You were somewhat attracted to him, and he's the doctor. And it would have been a very inappropriate and dangerous situation had you carried on with that. So tell me about that. You're seeking help from somebody. You're getting help. I think his action was completely inappropriate, and I will never send anyone to him again. But you um, thought you might liaise with him. Yes, uh, essentially, um, he was definitely uh, triggering. Um, I mean, you're talking about sex. It's going to be triggering. So uh, nothing did happen, but um, I've, uh, it's not the first time I felt that way with, uh, with a therapist. Uh, many, many years ago when I was seeking out help, uh, very similar situation. Again, nothing did happen. Um, luckily, the, the person from before was a professional, and um, you know, I'm there to get help and try to work through everything. You mentioned the word trigger. So what exactly is a trigger? What does a trigger mean? And what are some of the triggers you have? Well, even in my profession, uh, essentially, if I'm having a great day and, and what I'm doing, uh, sometimes I feel like I uh, deserve a treat. Uh, many people go home, have a glass of wine, and maybe a bath to treat themselves, buy themselves something. Um, I look at uh, who am I going to have sex with as my treat. Well, um, you also told me that you prep daily just in case. So what does that look like for you? And what, what is that? How, that's ritualistic, perhaps. And what is that like to get ready in the morning? And I think we're probably going to go to break right now. And so when I come back, um, you can answer that question. Thank you so much. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Welcome back. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Tonight we're talking about a very serious subject, sex addiction. Like eating, having sex is necessary for human survival. Although some people are celibate, some not by choice, others choose celibacy for cultural or religious reasons. You can imagine if you have been taught to choose celibacy for cultural or religious reasons and you have a neurotransmitter 
out of whack situation because that is tied to sex addiction and you are a sex addict and you are trying to hide this from your family. It's a very painful condition. I have a question here. As you know, Maureen, SSRIs and SNRIs are prescribed for anxiety and depressive disorders. They have the side effect of lowered sexual libido. Are these medications prescribed for people with sexual addictions? You'd think it would work, although a pill is never a total cure. Thank you so much for your question, Simon. Um, Absolutely. And in fact, I had suggested to Jane, because anxiety often underlies this condition, and SSRIs are like Prozac and Paxil, um, some of the medications used for depression. So I had suggested that to Jane, and she didn't take me up on on that suggestion, but she's gone other routes. And uh, But we were going to get to that prepping question, that ritualistic, in the morning, I may have sex today with five men. Um, and how how do I prepare for that? Um, I think about it probably two or three days going in if I know I'm going to be acting out with a partner. And, uh, yeah, there's lots of preparatory work. Obviously, I uh, figure out what my attire is going to be. I uh, will put on stockings, possibly. Um, it depends. Just, uh, I guess, what I would look at as uh, easy access. Um, I, I do want to talk a little bit about the 12 steps as well, if we have a moment. Uh, that is the right that I'm taking right now. And I, I want to speak because a lot of women don't come forward, and they should. And uh, I really hope that uh, my message, um, that there, there is help out there, definitely. So we can uh, talk about that as well. For sure, we can talk about the help in the Sex Addicts Anonymous. It's much like Alcoholics Anonymous or gambling Gamblers Anonymous. Um, so those 12-step programs are extremely helpful. Sometimes it does take a combination of medication, uh, anonymous groups, uh, mindfulness, um, consequences sometimes. Rock bottom is different for everybody. It doesn't necessarily mean to be on the street um, you know, and have, have no money. It can mean just it can be a statement from a mother or something a child might say. So what you've chosen the um, 12-step program, and so what prompted you to go this route for help? Oh, well, I started going when I was 27, and uh, I, was, I was acting out and didn't really know why, and thought, well, what the heck. Of course, uh, you know, all groups, uh, you're looking for sex. I was definitely in the bubble, and I've had uh, sex with people in the group. Uh, definitely not a safe behavior, uh, and I don't want to ever do that again. But going back, because you have to trust the system, I, I do believe in the 12 steps. If you work them properly, it does work. Uh, SAAVancouver.org is the website. Uh, they also have uh, many different meetings throughout the week. And I started going back to meetings in hopes to uh, reach out to other women and, uh, and let them know, hey, I've, I've struggled. And uh, there's days that I struggle uh, currently. Um, but if you just go back to the steps, you certainly can uh, can uh, have a sobering life. Thank you so much. You know, if you have this addiction, the severity of the addiction depends on the type, the amount, the frequency of the sexual behavior. If you have increasing guilt or remorse, do you keep secrets about your sexual behavior or romantic fantasies from those important to you? Do you lead a double life? 
have you have your desires driven you to have sex in places or with people you would not normally choose? Are you after an unattainable person? Do you need greater variety, increased frequency, more extreme sexual activities to achieve the same level of excitement or relief? These are some of the questions you might ask yourself. I'll, I'll post it on my website, www.backtothebedroom.ca. I want to thank Jane so much for sharing her story. This is something that mostly people think men have this addiction, but a lot of women have this as well. There's tremendous shame associated with it and it can actually you can have comorbidities co-addictions as well uh, addictions with drugs and alcohol and gambling and you may replace one addiction with another anyway it's a difficult subject you can always email me sextalk at cknw.com you can always visit my website www.backtothebedroom.ca you can follow me on twitter at back the number two the bedroom next week i'm going to read a letter to you that i got a letter handwritten two-page beautiful letter of hope and love and disappointment and heartbreak and it brought tears to my eyes a beautiful love story that is probably similar to a lot of love stories that many of you many of you have out there I want to thank Mike, the technical producer, who never knows what to, ex- to what he's going to get. <laughs> he knows the sex show is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Anyway, until next week, have a sexually healthy week. I'm Maureen McGrath, and you have been listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show.